Matthew chapter 28. Appreciate your prayers as I'm getting over this cold. Hopefully my voice will hold out as we go through this passage. This message was more difficult for me to write than I expected. I figured how difficult could it be to write on going. And I actually wrote about two and a half different drafts of this message. Uh, last week and finally have settled on the one that Lord willing will give to you this morning. My passion is to say what the text is saying. And so this morning I want to teach the message in the context of which it is given, that is to the eleven disciples or to the apostles. And then we'll take up the second half tonight when we talk about its application to a local New Testament assembly. So Matthew chapter 28, again reading in verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We've learned in previous messages that this commission is not the greatest of all of Jesus' commandments. But it is a commission that has been given to the apostles that is the means by which God's eternal purpose, that is, the mystery of His will, is to be fulfilled in every generation. We are to take the faith once delivered to the saints, that is, in that early church, and we are not only to preserve it, we are to propagate it to all the nations in our generation. We learned that the church does have warrant, even though this commission was given explicitly to the apostles, the church today does have warrant to take this commission and the authority behind the commission to itself. It's hinted in verse 20 when Christ says to them, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He didn't say, Behold, I am with you until you come home to be with me. But I am with you always, that is, in every generation, until the end of the age. Those early apostles fulfilled this commission in their day. They reached the known world in their day. They didn't know about North and South America in their day. But they did reach and they did expand from the Apostle Paul. And I forgot which of the apostles, I don't know why, I remember him explicitly even went into the area of India and up in Nepal and those areas and preached the gospel. He lost his life there. He was actually frayed to death for giving the gospel there in that nation. They did seek to do exactly what Jesus had commanded them. But what they did do is they delegated both the commission and the authority, not to any individual, but to the churches that they established. It's to the church that the ordinance of baptism is given, right? And it's to the church is where the saints gather 
to be taught by men gifted who are gifts to the church all things whatever Jesus Christ has commanded. So the apostles deliver this to the churches and the churches are to continue to carry this out in their generation. The authoritative imperative, the command given from the one who has all authority in verse 19, is make disciples of all the nations. What is a disciple? I hope you're memorizing this. A disciple is a learner follower. A learner, that's what we're seeking to do today, in order to observe what we have learned. A disciple is a learner follower, and all throughout this book, in multiple occasions, Matthew is going to give us illustrations of what a genuine disciple looks like. And I just want to look at three here, two we've already looked at. Go back to chapter 4. We mentioned this last week here in the book of Matthew. <clears throat> and at the end of that chapter, we have the first disciples that Jesus called unto himself. And I just want to pick out and point out two verses here. Jesus did call them. And in verse 20 of Matthew 4, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And there's a whole context behind them doing that. This wasn't the first time that they had heard Christ. But here he says to them, follow me. What did they do? They understood it and they, they obeyed. Again, he sees two other brothers. And in verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. We saw another example in Matthew chapter 8 of what the one who has all authority looks like when he gives a command. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 9, <coughs> the centurion told the Lord, I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he what? He goes. And I say to another, come, and what does he do? He comes. And I say to another, do this, and he does it. And parents, that's exactly what you want to develop in your children. You want to develop in them this kind of spirit. If they don't have it in their home growing up, they won't have it when they're adult and they read their Bible. They will consider their Bible the same way they considered your commandments. But here's a disciple. <clears throat> he hears the call. He immediately follows. Here's a disciple. He hears Jesus say, go, you go. He says, come, you come. He says, do this, you do it. Again, if you look at, let's just go back in chapter 7 at the end of that chapter. Look at verse 21. Here's our Lord concluding the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who's going to enter into the kingdom of heaven? He who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Do you see discipleship there? This is what our Lord was aiming for in His preaching. <clears throat> and lastly, go over to chapter 11. <clears throat> At the end of that chapter, we have a wonderful situation where our Lord Himself gives an invitation. And in verse 28, He says, Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Isn't that, would you say that that is a wonderful gospel invitation? Have you not used that? Maybe if you stood in a Sunday school class and you actually looked at those boys or girls and you said, look, you need to be saved from your sin. Christ says, come to me. Come to me. 
You who are weary and heavy laden with the burden of sin, and He will give you rest. He'll give you peace. Brethren, that's not all the passage. Look at verse 29. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. Everybody see that? And the way that I've heard this preached before is that verse 28 is the gospel invitation and verses 29 and 30 is the call after you're saved to discipleship. But brethren, there's a problem with that. And the problem is, what's the last word in verse 28? Tell me. Rest. Rest. What is the fourth from the last word in verse 29? Rest. Everybody see that? Coming to Christ is having, listen, the yoke of sin broken off of you and the yoke of Christ put on you so that you can learn from Him because He's not like sin. The way of the transgressor is hard. It is wearisome. It is burdensome. But the one who places his yoke on you is gentle and humble. And he says, learn from me. Everybody see that? This is the contrast in what he is saying. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew continues all throughout this book of the Gospel to show us genuine discipleship. And folks, this is what we need today. Why is this? Because as we go back to Matthew 28, what we come to learn and understand is this. That if the way to make disciples of all the nations is the preaching of the Gospel, and it is, then the right preaching of the Gospel will give birth to disciples. Not attendees, (coughs) not those who merely pray a prayer, not those because they're moral and they like your conservative stance on something, but a learner-follower of Jesus Christ. And brethren, I really can't emphasize that enough in our day. There is a genuine disciple among professing disciples. (laughs) Just like there is an Israel in what nation? In Israel. And the church today needs more disciples in their churches. And when that person becomes a disciple, he then manifests that discipleship by being baptized into a local New Testament assembly. In other words, he identifies with the body of Christ. He's been put into the body of Christ spiritually He shows this in under the sun by putting himself and identifying himself with a local New Testament assembly. And in that local New Testament assembly, he is to be taught all that Jesus commanded. In other words, he is to identify not only with the assembly, but also identify with the voice that is being preached accurately within that assembly. And when all of that goes on, and the church really takes this to heart, that this is what they're called to do. There's a lot of good things we could be doing. But this is what we're called to do. Then we might become salt and light in this world again. 
For I think it's safe to say that in America the church has lost its saltiness. And that is a shame, isn't it? May we not lose ours. And the pool from which, verse 19, <clears throat> that we are to make disciples is all the nations. Individually, individually we can have certain burdens for different nations of people. For instance, we have supported a missionary and their burden is for the Philippines. You can have a certain burden for a certain region within our city. However, the goal is not to just exclusively seek to make disciples of that particular ethnicity. The goal is to cast our net very broadly. Everybody see that? All the nations, all the ethnicities, no matter what that ethnicity is, and churches are to be started. And the common thing that churches are to have is not a particular ethnicity, but a particular language. 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14 speak of this. This is the pool from which we are preaching. And this brings us to our topic this morning, and that is verse 19, going to make disciples. We saw the imperative, make disciples. And you ought to note that there in your Bible. And we've also noted that the word go is a participle. It is going, just like baptizing is a participle, and verse 20, teaching is a participle. <clears throat> Those participles carry with it the weight of the imperative. So here's the command, make disciples. And then he gives us, in other words, a command on how to do it. Going, proclaiming, baptizing, teaching. This is how we're to do it. Now folks, going to make disciples in all of verses 19 and 20 is based upon the fact that He has all authority to say this. From the risen Christ, from this human man glorified, has been issued this authoritative command directly to the apostles. And because of that, His all authority rests then upon all of His commandments. Does His authority rest on going, baptizing, teaching? His authority rests on all that also. Now you might ask the question that if His authority is behind all of His commandments, not just those here in Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20, then why might He specifically state, I have all authority, now do this. <clears throat> and of course we can't really answer that question. But let me propose one possibility. Could it be due to the fact that our Lord knew <clears throat> that the churches throughout the church age would be prone to go after multiple other good things and not this commission? Could it be that our Lord knew that our tendency would be <clears throat> to do things that would find more acceptance in the world 
than for us going out with all authority and proclaiming this is the exclusive way. Christ and Him alone. I don't know if that's the reason, but I do think history could argue that that would be one possibility. I mean, even the church at Corinth got distracted with seeking to tone down the gospel in order to find acceptance with the world around it. Folks, this is the all-authoritative means by which God's eternal purpose is to be fulfilled in every generation. How do we make disciples? Number one, we go. We are to be going. Now typically, in the way that I have even preached it in times past, the word going is a participle. And it could mean as you are going. That might have been the way that you have read this commission. In other words, it would read something like this. As you are going, make disciples. I certainly do think that we should be seeking to make disciples as we are going. But if you trace this word going, In the book of Matthew, in every case, in every case where this participle is used, it is going, now please hear, it is going with a specific purpose in mind. It's not just a casual going. Be going to the other side. He wasn't saying, well, as you're going, hopefully you'll make it to the other side. No, he said, you're to be going where? To the other side. In other words, the word, the participle has a specific purpose or object in mind when the term is used. So it's not just us going and giving the gospel as providential opportunity presents itself. It is going with purpose. The purpose is to make what? Disciples from all the nations. And what I said here is true for the other participles. Baptizing has an object. It's understood. Who are we baptizing? Disciples. Teaching to observe has a purpose or an object. Who's the object? Disciples. So everything in here, all three participles, have as an object... The making of disciples or the object is on the disciple himself. And brethren, this is what we are to be doing. And this is really, if I was going to take, what is, Pastor Jones, what is your main takeaway from this as you have gone through and really studied it with more in depth and maturity? This is it. We are to be going purposefully. Not randomly, not haphazardly, not as it just runs across our path, but we're to be going purposely with the purpose of making disciples. Now that means that our Lord understood something about the world. He understood something about all the nations. What did he understand? I'm going to give you three. Number one, he understood 
that all mankind is lost and dead in their trespasses and sins. Everybody see that? He's speaking to the apostles. He's telling them out of the pool of all the nations, they are to go and proclaim the gospel to make disciples. And that means that he regarded all men lost. And the apostles were to regard all men as lost. And by implication, we are to regard all men as what? It's lost. Folks, I think that our default when we meet people is to either assume or hope that they're believers. Not, we assume they're what? Lost. Jesus certainly didn't assume Nicodemus was a saved man, did He? And they certainly didn't assume that the Gentiles were saved people. Jesus certainly didn't think, well, all religions were equal. He certainly didn't assume that all religions were okay, that there's some kind of kernel of truth in there that they can kind of wonder and eventually make their way to God. He didn't assume that at all. He can assume that the whole world lied in darkness and in the lap of the evil one. And I think the church today would do well to assume the same thing. In other words... He assumed that people were not disciples. Everybody see that? He assumed that people were not disciples. Secondly, <clears throat> this commission implied that Jesus would send messengers to reach different geographical areas among all the nations. In this case, there's 11. He does repeat the commission in different forms to which we can say He gave it to those apostles. And He assumed, and they should have assumed, that Jesus would be sending people into all the nations to proclaim the gospel. <clears throat> Today, in our culture, in our day, the number of missionaries is dwindling. It's not getting more. It's not even holding its own. It is dramatically being reduced. But we should assume that in this commission <clears throat> that Jesus would send messengers, should we not, to all the nations. And thirdly, <clears throat> and I've already hinted at this, that going to make disciples implies <clears throat> that messengers would be sent by who? Christ Himself. Everybody see that? Because folks, it is true, is it not, that no individual can fulfill this commission except for a rarity, and I'll mention this tonight, If I were to ask you to raise your hands, how many of you have at times sought to go for the purpose of making disciples, whatever venue that might be? 
I would assume that the overwhelming majority of believing people in this congregation would raise their hand. But if I would ask you how many of you have baptized them, I would dare say the hands would drop dramatically. Would it not? And of course we know the answer to that. The answer to that is because the commission has been delegated to the church. So this is why we say no one individual can fulfill this commission. What do we have here? We have a commission spoken to the apostles. And the word apostle means sent one. Jesus is commissioning the apostles to go and make what? Disciples. This is what He is doing. Now those men, the 11 here in Matthew 28, and the 12 formally, those men carried an office that was unique. The last one to carry that office was the Apostle Paul. Did he see Christ? And did Christ not directly commission him to go to all the nations? The answer to that is yes. And Paul says, last of all, he appeared to me. So there are no apostles today, regardless of what men or even women might claim. They are unique for the founding of the local New Testament assembly. And Ephesians 4 verse 11 says that. That apostles were gifts to the church, both at the beginning and during their lifetime. Just like prophets were a gift to the church, and they're unique for the establishing of that church. And you only establish the foundation of a church once. And from that on, we preach and lay the already established foundation and build upon it. Even as we looked in Acts chapter 1 for our scripture reading, when he tells the, those that power shall come upon them for them to be witnesses, who is he speaking to in context? The apostles. When he tells them to wait in Jerusalem, who is he saying that to? The apostles. When he says to them, they are going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, even unto the uttermost of the world, who is he speaking to? The apostles. The commission is explicitly given directly by the risen Christ to the apostles. I mean, after all, there's no way, well, there is a way, but I'm just going to say broadly, there is no way. There's no way that you and I could start our witness in Jerusalem. Could they? Did they not wait in Jerusalem? Did they not witness in Jerusalem? Did they not carry it into Samaria? Judea? And the regions beyond? The answer to that is what? The answer to that is yes. And folks, we don't wait in, quote, our Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to descend upon us. The epistles answer and give the normative for the church. We get the filling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit when? When we're justified, when we're saved. It's very, very important that we 
carry the context just like we would any other passage. And then look and see, is there any warrant for us to make application for us today? Only the apostles could be witnesses in that fashion from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even the remotest part of the earth. No one repeats that progression today unless you got saved in Jerusalem and took that seriously. Now, do we make application of that? Yes or no? We do. And whether that's warranted or not, I'll leave that up for debate. But we do make application of that. Only the apostles and the early church could accomplish Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And what? They did. Did they receive the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem? Did they become witnesses? Yes. And they formed an assembly in the courtyard of the temple. And God ended up scattering them into all the world and you begin to see the echo, the reverberation of that commission going out until we have the Apostle Paul, an apostle to what primary people? Gentile people. And he goes through all that area preaching the Gospel, planting churches, and proceeding on to the East. Some say all the way to Spain giving the gospel of Christ. And folks, that doesn't discourage me, that encourages me. To see God, the risen Christ, fulfill exactly what He has said. Didn't Paul say concerning himself in 2 Corinthians, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. And He was, wasn't He? That apostolic men and that apostolic company, they were ambassadors. They were representations and representatives of another time and another place and another world and another command and another authority. The one who had all authority in heaven and on earth. And they carry that into all the world. These men were sent. Now I want us to take our Bibles and I want us to turn to Romans chapter 10. The book of Romans chapter 10. And we're going to look at this passage and then we'll be through for this morning. Now what I'm arguing is that this commission in context is explicitly given from a risen Christ who directly sent these men into all the nations. In the book of Romans, chapter 10, the context is Israel. And Paul is going to bring up his preaching. He says, verse 8, what does Christ say? Well, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is, now note this, the word of faith which we are what? Which we are preaching. Everybody see that? Which we are preaching. What is the word of faith? Verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be what? You'll be saved. It's not by the law of Moses. It's by the word of faith which we are preaching to both Jew and who? Gentile. Why is verse 9 the word of faith? Here's the reason. Verse 10. 
Because with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. That's why this is the word of faith. That if one would confess with the mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart that God had raised from the dead, you'd be saved. Why is it that way? Because it's the heart that believes and it's the mouth that confesses what you believe. Well, <clears throat> Paul, how can you say that when the context of this is Israel? And you're preaching to Romans and to Gentiles. Verse 11. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. Everybody see the word whoever? That's a very important word. Well, Paul, how can you say whoever? How can you apply that to both Jew and Gentile? Verse 12. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. When God says whoever, He just wasn't referring to the Jew. He was really referring to whomever. Jew or Gentile. There's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. <clears throat> the same Lord is Lord of all. <clears throat> abounding in riches for all who call upon Him. How can you say that, Paul? Verse 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. A quotation from prophet Joel. That is great scriptural argument, isn't it? Whoever, Jew, Gentile, whatever ethnicity, whatever nationality, whatever language, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And aren't you glad he said that? Because in that word, whoever is us. You. Don't lose the marvel of that. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> Paul's going to go on and say, all right, how then... What is the process by which Jew or Gentile will call on the name of the Lord to be saved? Let's read verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? In other words, can a person call on the name of the Lord to be saved? if they don't believe it. Not genuinely, right? Alright, but how would they believe in Him on whom they've not heard? The only way a person can believe where? Where do you believe? In your heart. Where do you confess? With your mouth. And the part, first part of that confession is calling on the name of the Lord. How can they believe if they haven't heard, could they believe and not hear? The answer to that is no. Sorry, Dr. Billy Graham. Sorry, all these people who say that people who've never heard the gospel, that they will be in heaven. They can't believe if they've never what? They've never heard. Well, how are they going to hear? Verse 14, how will they hear without a, without a preacher? In other words, God's not going to write it on the sky. He's not going to speak it through creation. They don't hear that. He is speaking through creation, but they don't hear it. All it can tell them is that there is a deity, but it can't tell them how to be saved. How are they going to hear without a preacher? They can't hear without a preacher. Verse 15. <clears throat> How will they preach <clears throat> unless they are sent? Everybody see that? 
And here's the proof text. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. In other words, folks, for a person to be saved, a man has to be sent. If he is sent, he is to preach the word of faith. The same message that the Apostle Paul preached, Peter and the other apostles. If they will hear that message, they can what? Believe. And if they believe, they will call on the Lord. And if they call on the Lord, He will will save them. Jew or Gentile. It's whosoever. In other words, folks, if, if... they're going to hear it ultimately comes down to Christ sending someone to them. In other words, someone has to be commissioned to do this from the risen Christ. Everybody following what I'm saying? When when I believe that God called me into the ministry, I served in a local New Testament church where that church was able to witness my gifts, to see the abilities that Christ had given me. My pastor groomed me. And then one day, that church commissioned me. And they gave me that little piece of paper saying that I had been commissioned. I think it was 1985, back when the dinosaurs reigned. And they commissioned me to the gospel ministry. In other words, they're putting their seal of approval. Yes, we do believe that Christ is sending you. Everybody following me? Folks, in that day, these men, like Paul and the apostles, were commissioned directly by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself in similar fashion that the Old Testament prophets were commissioned. When I was commissioned, Christ did not appear to me. I did not hear an audible voice from heaven. Frank, Frank. Yes, Lord. What did you say? But those men did. Paul actually both saw and what? Heard Christ commission him. He was sent in that fashion. And they were sent with the commission of what we commonly term as the Great Commission as the means by which God's eternal purpose through Christ would come to pass. And it did. It was as if Christ Himself was preaching through these men. Which is exactly what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. He says, Christ came and preached to you. Well, how do you do that? Through the apostle who? Through the Apostle Paul. And they had unique authority, did they not? In a unique office. 
and they gave to us God breathed directly from the mouth of Christ Himself words that we have in our Bible today. Now the proof of that, Romans 10 verse 15, is from the prophet Isaiah. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now, I want us to turn back to Isaiah 52. And I want to take a look at this passage. And my goal is only to show you that the messengers that are being talked about here in Romans are people directly sent. They are sent ones. Capital A Apostles. Isaiah 52. And I want to begin reading in verse 6. And you know that the context of this is the servant psalms. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day that I am the one who is speaking. What is he speaking? Here am I. Then he says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up your voices. They shout joyfully together. For they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. He has bared His holy arm in the sight of who? All the nations, so that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Everybody see that? Now folks, what we have here is that Isaiah is calling to remembrance that nation to the conquest and captivity of Egypt and Babylon. And the picture of this is that there is a battle. And there is a battle going on to conquer Babylon and they win. And from the battlefield, now listen to what I'm saying, from the battlefield, they send messengers back to Israel and they are to announce what happened on the battlefield. Everybody following me? You've got soldiers and people on the battlefield. They hand select certain men fleet afoot to run back to the city. And as they're running back and they get closer, they hear these words. Our God reigns! Which says what? We won the victory. And all the watchmen who are waiting to hear the results of the battle whose eyes are attentive, looking off into the horizon, awaiting the fleet of messengers to come. They're on that wall. And when they hear, your God reigns, there is shouts of joy. And when those watchmen raise their voices with shouts of joy, the whole city begins to what? To shout with joy because of the victory. Paul is using verse 7 of Isaiah 52 
to show that there are sent ones who go and announce the victory. Folks, when you announce a victory, it's good what? It's good news. That they're to go and to announce the victory and they're to say, our God reigns. And folks, our God reigns over all other gods. This was part of the good news. And if we were to apply it to that commission, then what we would see is this. Our Lord on Calvary engaged the battle. He allowed Himself to become weak so that we might see the strength of God. Satan had no hold on him. No way death could hold him. Sinless, spotless Lamb of God. <clears throat> he says, it is finished. And one thing left, to bow his head in worship and to engage our last enemy as a man, death itself. His body was surrendered to death. And he died. Laid in a tomb. Three days, three wide. <clears throat> and on that third day, he rose. The battle was won. And the one who won the battle said, Go and make disciples of all the nations and tell them God reigns over sin and death and I am the Gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you would be, you would be saved. You go into the town of Ephesus. You go back to Jerusalem. You go to Antioch and you say, Surrender! Death and hell have been defeated. Surrender to the One who has all authority. Surrender to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Go there. Stand. Be in that marketplace. Speak My Word with all confidence and all authority. And My Spirit will gather out of all nations local New Testament gatherings of disciples. Born again by My grace. And I will gather them into local New Testament assemblies in all the nations. And all the people who were watching, waiting for the redemption of Israel, they hear and say, Amen. And joy fills their heart. Folks, this is what's going on here. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? They were sent. And those sent ones, capital S, capital A Apostle, carried out this means. And did God use the means to gather His people? Yes or no? Yes, it is the means. And he has done exactly what was foretold. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> 
there is application for us. We don't get it so much from the context of Matthew 28 as we do from the epistles. I'm going to ask you, is the risen Christ still giving as gifts to the church pastor, teachers, evangelist? Yes or no? Yes. He's not doing it directly. He's doing it through his local New Testament churches. Like this one. It begins with something as simple as this. If any man desire the office. Everybody see that? There's a desire. There's giftedness. There's congregational approval. There's congregational sending. Did you hear that? And the only people who literally could take the commission as given in Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20 and do it is what we call a missionary. When we send a missionary to another ge- different geographical region, he's to go there to start what? Churches. Churches, all right? Is he to go and make disciples? We all say yes. yes. Is he to be going? Yes. Does he have to be sent? Alright, he goes into that area and he preaches. And there's a group of people gathered together. What does he do? He organizes it into a church. And then he baptizes those first converts. Where does he get the authority to do that? From the church that sent him. And he organizes that group of people and he begins to lay the foundation to teach them all things that Christ commanded and to appoint their own who? Their own pastors. And then he moves on. Isn't this what Paul did? Now, he's not a capital A apostle. But he is an evangelist. We call it a missionary today. Who does this. Now, that means that Christ is going to get people to go from local New Testament assemblies like right here. That means that every young person hearing this message should not sit in their pew and say, I'm so thankful I'm not called. You should be sitting in the pew saying, do you want me to go? He doesn't want everybody to go, does He? In fact, the overwhelming majority of believing people won't go. But you don't start out from the position, I'm glad I'm not, and I'm glad they are. You sit there and say, you hear the commission, you understand it properly, and you say, Lord, do you want me to go? Now, providence and giftedness and ability and all those other things come to play. And you may decide, no. I want to give my life to be a house builder. And you know what Christ says to that? Thumbs up. 
Nothing less spiritual than that because you're still to observe all that He commanded as your house building. But maybe, maybe someone might say, well, my heart is kind of leaning that way. Well, you ought to make it public so that we can be praying for you. Because it's the church that's going to what? Going to send you. Now you may say, all three of my boys <clears throat> said that they wanted to go in the ministry when they were eight. And it became quite evident as they grew that that wasn't the Lord's will. But at eight, they were what? Willing. Are you willing? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.